0: A podcast one production. Uh, Fail! Welcome to Fail with Greta Lee Jackson the podcast where I speak to people about times they messed up and what they learned on their journey to success. My whole life, I've only been asked out once. Sure, I've had my fair share of online apps where it's obvious you've been matched with each other, so the asking outfit is usually skipped over or taken as already completed. But when it comes to being asked out without apps, it's only ever happened the one time. The gentleman who did so many years ago was possibly the worst match for me ever. He liked all the stuff I was terrified of, racing cars and tagging buses and threatening to assault people with trolley poles. I didn't know this when he asked me out, of course, but I was just so stoked to be asked out for the first time that I said yes immediately without doing any research. I did gradually find out about all the racing and tagging and threatening as time went on, and I found him less and less attractive as a result. However, I think the final straw came when I sent him to the shops one day to pick up a couple of grapefruits. He came back with plums. A 27-year-old man had managed to go his entire life without ever learning what a grapefruit looked like. Sure, he could swing a mean trolley pole, but differentiating between fruit was out of the question. I mean, I kind of get his logic. A grapefruit must be a fruit that looks like a big grape, sure. But for once, the failure wasn't mine and I wasn't about to hang around to witness any more. I think I must have ended it later that day. In this episode, I'll be talking to comedian, writer and actor Matt Okine about non-ironic racist stereotypes, confidence beers and how to write a sus email.
1: Look, I'll take you back to my very first Raw, the Raw Grand Final. This is 2004. uh, It was my fourth ever gig in front of 1,500 people, Melbourne Town Hall. You know, I just sort of stumbled into this comedy game and I was up against all these people who had been doing comedy for at least a year, possibly two, you know. A lot of people in New South Wales will only enter Raw after doing comedy for two, two, even three years sometimes. So I was actually an amateur and I didn't believe they were. Anyways, um, I was up against a guy called Nick Sun. Now when Nick Sun was on stage, he, um, the audience, he almost blew the whole roof off. The audience absolutely loved him, but I couldn't hear what he was saying. So I was standing backstage going, man, they really love him. I wonder what this dude's saying. Anyway, um, I go on stage and I do my standard riffs about being black. You know, that's all I had. I, my fourth ever gig, I was 19 years old, 18 years old. I celebrated my 18th birthday when I was down there, 19th birthday when I was down there. Um, so I'm talking about, you know, oh, I'm a World Vision kid and all this sort of stuff. And oh, yeah, I'm not here on, on a World Vision sponsorship and all these really lame, you know.
0: Just telling chicks it, in
1: the just, audience they're d- hot. <laughs> exactly. Right. Making George W. Bush jokes that I didn't even understand, just calling him an idiot, just like just trying to be relevant and funny as a 19-year-old. Anyway, I get off stage and um, and I, I died and I just couldn't figure out why I died so badly. I was like, man, this stuff killed in Queensland. I just don't understand it. Anyway, I get the tape of the gig about three months later from the ABC, because it's televised. And they show the winner, Nick's son, who's the very first on stage. And he was before me on the night, remember? Um, And I watch his set. And the first thing he does is walk out and go, yeah, so I'm an ethnic comic. I'm just going to do all these lame ethnic jokes. And then just goes on. He's like, yeah, I'm Asian. I got a small dick. Ha ha ha. Yeah, this is an impression of my mom. $2 sucky sucky. Ha ha ha. Right? And Everyone's losing it because, of course, he's just cutting to bits all these, this typical ethnic comedy. And then me, and I look back and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I've just walked out there a few acts later and been like, hey, I'm black and my dad sounds like this. And, like, and without a single ounce of irony, everyone must have just been like, did he not? Was he not here? <laughs> like, oh, man, it took me years to recover from that. Years oh, to recover man. from that. Oh. I, I, I list it as one of the worst gigs I've ever done still to this day and it should have been one of the best, but, man, I tell you what, I, know I very rarely don't listen to the acts before me these days. Oh, I'm out in the crowd. I'm watching it all.
0: Did Nickson come up to you <laughs> and go, man, didn't you hear that shit?
1: <laughs> I no one looked at me afterwards. You know what I mean? People barely looked at me. Like I had, I stank of a bad gig, like of an embarrassing gig.
0: Now I could sit here and list off your credentials and read off your IMDb and all that sort of stuff, but I often find it's more efficient to get you to describe what you do for a living, how you see yourself.
1: That's a very that's a very good way of not having to do research. I like it,
0: <laughs> mate. Short <time. laughs>
1: Yeah, um, I am a comedian, an actor, a writer. Um, make some music on the side and occasionally host some TV shows. Just try and do it all because I like doing it all.
0: Yeah. Now I asked you to prepare a, a a fail story. What comes to your mind when you hear the word fail?
1: Failing's a funny one because people are terrified of it um when the reality is you kind of have to fail to get anywhere in life. Um so you know, you said, oh, you should come up with a fail story, and I've thought, I've got hundreds. Yes, I've just got so many of of these awful cringeworthy things that I've done in my past that I wish that i didn't do utterly regret doing them but am not ashamed of having failed or done them because what is worth is what's worse is not trying and i think the amount of people who don't try because they're scared of failure is it's a real disappointment so you know i had uh i went on a bit of a rant on twitter recently based on something that a friend said to me right because uh i bumped into her she she went to university with me and she is a designer, and I really, really love her. What, like, you know, and I, I believe that she's truly, extremely talented. I Hadn't seen her in a while. I said, "So, are you designing at the moment? Um, fashion designer?" And, and she said, "Oh no, you know, I th- I'm not. I'm not. Um, I think I'm just a little bit scared of failing." And I, and it's kind of like, well, then you are failing. Like that's you've actually failed by not giving it a go, and like not creating or not writing or not making music or not doing anything if you're creative not creating is failing and so if you make something anything at all even if it's a piece of shit that ends up getting two stars on imdb you did it and everyone else didn't so i don't think that you can ever say that you failed if you actually did it i think you can only say that you failed if like it's an old it's an old saying they say you only fail if you stop trying and i think that that's very much true
0: I've never heard that before. That's great. Yeah,
1: because I mean, and you know, I think that anyone who does it gets a pass no matter what. You're you, Like, even if, 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 even if it's bad, if someone can actually consume it, it's a C minus. I look at it the way that I look at, say, making a sandwich for someone. Now, if you're not going to make your own lunch and you require me to make it for you, I... I only fail if I don't make you a sandwich at all, if no sandwich comes up on the plate, right? But if I give you a peanut butter sandwich and you're like, oh, where's the chicken? Where's the thing? Then I'm like,
0: fuck off, mate.
1: You know? You got a sandwich.
0: That is the best analogy.
1: <laughs> but I just feel like we we, we try to – my thing is I, I it annoys me when, as a producer, you – you know, because there's producers and consumers. If you produce anything that is consumable, therefore – you have passed, right? And, uh, and it really frustrates me that people are worried about the feedback of that product, of what you've produced instead of just being happy that they've made something and should be able to just use use that to move forward. The feedback process is only, in, is only in place to inform the producer of how to next produce the thing that they're making. Not to say that they're not doing it again or anything like that. It's just like, oh, well, I got a lot of things wrong here I'll apply all of these fixes to the next thing I do. It's not, oh, I got a lot of things wrong here, therefore I won't do it anymore. That's just, that doesn't, otherwise nothing in the world would get done. We live in such a negative society, you have to accept that everyone's going to face, you know, place all their negatives on whatever you make, no matter what.
0: It sounds like you've got it down to a a process. I mean, it's it's familiar.
1: There definitely is a process. There's a four-tier process that I've found across everything I do. (laughs) Go on. As well. Go on. I mean, you want to get deep in it all. This is how this is how producing anything works, right? You you have level one is the conception of the idea, the development of the idea. How what is it going to look like, taste like, smell like, feel like, sound like? All right. Then the second level is product production of the idea, whereas you actually make whatever the hell you said that you were going to do in the first place. Then third process is. Um, promotion of the product so whatever you've made you've got to tell people that you've made it otherwise no one knows and no one gives a shit mm, about it mm. and they're not entitled they don't have to you're not entitled to anyone's interest in whatever you've made
0: no one should go looking no, well like even
1: if you I, I make I make you can make heaps of stuff at home whatever you want to make you can make songs you can do you can make, paint pictures do whatever you want if you expect people to consume it you have to let them know that they've that, that it exists whether it's a tweet, whether it's a $1 million promotion, whether it's sending it to the newspaper, whatever you do, you have to let people know that you've done it, all right? Because they won't just, no one's going to go door knocking saying, hey, is there a cool song in here that you've written? Like just to any random, you've got to know where to go to get a cool song or to, to get a good piece of art. You've got to know who's actually making it. So prom- promotion is a really important part of that. And I don't think that, I think a lot of people oversee it who aren't in the corporate world. In the corporate world, they probably go too hard on promotion, whereas in in the arts, performance arts space, and so certainly a solo artist like us, everyone's too cool to promote themselves. It's, it's very lame to promote yourself. And then you can be the best person in the world, the best comedian, the best whatever, and if no one knows you exist, no one's going to care and you're going to eat noodles for the rest of your life. The fourth phase is the feedback process, which is the the scariest part. That's what everyone's actually scared of when it comes to this idea of failure because that's the part that they are not in control of. When you're in control of the conception, the product, and the promotion, you know exactly how you want it to do, but but suddenly when it's being received by someone, it's out of your control. You can make the best sandwich in the world and someone doesn't like coriander and you put coriander on that sandwich, they're going to say it's a bad sandwich. And most people go, oh, fuck, I'm bad at making sandwiches instead of going, well, that person just doesn't like coriander. You know, so why, why would you try and uh, appease every single person, every single palate when you say, all right, well, you didn't like it. That's fine. Next time I make you a sandwich, I'm going to put coriander in it. But I also know these 10 people do love it, so I'm going to put coriander in that one. So it, it's, it's, it's all about that process. And then the feedback process goes into you developing it next time. So then you think, okay, well, how can I please other – how can I make sure that everyone gets a bite of the thing that I like and all that, that I'm making and all that sort of stuff?
0: It's funny, I was just thinking today about how many times I've held back from self-promotion because of what other people that I would view as peers would think, oh. not, not knowing what they think, yeah. but assuming they'll think it's bad That's and I've just, held back. It's so
1: stupid though because what the hell do we care? As peers, what the hell? We, we, it's not for us, you know? It's so weird. That-
0: I've wasted so much on, <laughs> on that on that need for approval from peers. I yeah. know,
1: but peers aren't paying the money. Pe- peers don't buy tickets to your shows. These are the same assholes who'll say, Oh, all they do is self promote. And then they'll knock on the door of your gig and be like, Hey, can I get a freebie? Can I come in? Like, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Like, you, they, the, the the thing that really annoys me most about artists, especially, you know, the the group circles that we sort of work in and that comedy and filmmakers and everything like that, is that thing of like, we're trying to impress each other. You're trying to, trying to please, trying to make the back of the room laugh when people, there's like good, Hard paying audiences sitting right at the front row who desperately will like what you do and want to hear it. And people are looking over them to see some, you know, losers up the back trying, you know, trying to make them laugh because we think that'll sort of somehow make us give us more approval of, on what we're doing. It's so, it's so bizarre.
0: I've, you fired me up. <laughs> I'm I'm on the other team now. I'm on this. Great. Team. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And to be honest, I'll probably unfollow you after this. because I <laughs> get sick of all the promo. Shut the hell up.
0: <laughs> I know Sell you've out. got
1: a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Greta, I get it. Jeez.
0: Can you share one of those cringeworthy stories with me now? The things from the one of the stories from the past.
1: Um. So the first one that comes to mind is so dumb. I went for an audition. Right. I smashed the audition. It was really great. Um, went home that afternoon, had a bunch of beers, sort of celebrating almost, you know, on the sly celebrating.
0: Without confirmation that you booked it. No, no, no,
1: no, no. Just a bit of early celebration. You know, I was that confident. I'm watching, um, watching a lot of Entourage at the time, you know, and on Entourage, they're all chummy with all the directors and the agents and the casting directors and stuff. And, and, you know, and I thought, oh, that's what I've got. It's got, I've got to be more like that, you know, like, I've got to stop thinking that these people are, are are more powerful than me, and that that we're all actually in this together. You know that we're all friends, and so I thought, oh, you know, I had such a good audition. I, I, i had a few beers. I was like, I'm going to call up the casting director, just let her know. Thank you for having me. It was great. You know, you know, being a part of it, everything. Anyway, I'm on the phone. She doesn't answer, so it's a voicemail. So I leave a voicemail. <laughs> I start rambling, drunk rambling. Hey, oh yeah, you know, uh, it's Matt, um, yeah, it's thank, I just want to thank you, like it was really awesome. I'll leave this message, we'll probably go for a minute, which is a minute too long for a Friday afternoon message from a drunk, basically amateur actor, who did one okay audition. By the way, have you heard of Entourage? <laughs> <laughs> On the new Vinny Chase, you! And uh, you can bet, never got the ad. The two people in the audition with me got the ad. I didn't. Never saw that casting director ever again. Has never seen me ever oh. since for that. Oh. I don't blame her. I don't <laughs> blame her because the, I, had, I was rambling like a lunatic, a drunk, idiotic lunatic.
0: Was it just co- like confidence?
1: Oh, yeah. yeah it right. was just absolute over the top confidence. It was delusion. I'd been watching Entourage. I was desperate to do like to get a work. I was trying to figure out how to get in. You know, so it just, it like, and it just, I just hate it when I think about that sort of stuff. But at the same time, it happened. You're not going to do it again. I'm not going to do it again. And whoever is listening to this will hopefully not do it again because they'll, you know, that's part of the failure as well. If you fail, I think it's also important that you let other people know that you, you, that you, that you help other people avoid that. That's the, good thing about failure. And I think it's only I think some people try to hold on to that sort of knowledge that they've gained from failure and in like the hope that other people will will fail and will make the same mistakes as them because they don't want to because they because because they don't want to be the only idiot who did it, but it takes a real asshole to get in the water and be like, "Hey, there's, you know, spot a shark." almost get bitten and then get out of the water and not, not tell everyone. Anything. You know what I mean? Like who, who would do that? So it's like I absolutely am happy to talk about all these failures because it's like you you might be 21 years old, just moved down from Brisbane to Sydney. You might be trying to make it in the big smoke and guess what? Don't call your casting director after an audition, after 10 beers or whatever, all right? Pre- just-
0: <laughs> pre-confirmation beers <laughs> yeah, as well. Yeah, you didn't exactly, even know if you booked the job. Exactly.
1: Just don't <laughs> do it. Save your phone credit. For someone else, alright.
0: Is it is it uphill from here, downhill from here? Oh, I don't think it's worse, Go mate. On. Go on.
1: <laughs> So I think in the same year as well, I um I got a I won a competition. And this is real cringe worthy. I feel oh I hate talking about this one because it's so lame and just so stupid. <laughs>
0: But, well, um, thank you for sharing
1: it. But I, um, so I, I'd i moved down to Sydney and I really wanted to be in with, I really wanted to join this management company. And I just saw it as this big step in my career, you know, because they had a lot of big players on it. They were connected to a really good um, comedy management. It was just like, it was just a logical next step. And I'd i done some good gigs where the people from that agency had met me, had like, were, you know, were interested in me. Um, to the point where, you know, I had dropped into the agency a couple of times, said hello and everything, and it just felt like, yeah, this is going to happen, right? So 21 years old. Go
0: home, have some beers.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Almost. I think it must have been similar to that. Anyway, I end up winning this competition where I am to perform on Rove Live. Now, this is at a time where commercial TV is at its peak. Rove is one of the hottest shows in the country. Um, you know, you're looking at 1.5 million viewers. It was a big deal to get a stand-up spot on that. And I'm 22, 22 years old by this stage when I win this competition. And things are looking really good with this man, with this you know um, acting agency and everything. And um, and I've met with, up with them a couple of times. And, and after it's confirmed that I'm going to be on Rove, I send the... Agency an email saying, "Yeah, just letting you know. Uh, you know, you probably have heard I'm going to be on Rove this weekend or whatever. I'm really looking forward to telling to to you know meeting up with you afterwards, and hopefully we can you know start working together more." So, in the email, because there were three people in the company in the agency at the time, I wanted to personally write a message to. Everyone, as, like, as I was signing out, you know. So I was saying, um, we'd had a chat about. So let's just imagine that this is how the the email ended. I can't remember the exact details, and I'm going to change names here. But let's just imagine that this is how it happened. The I ended the email. So the email would have ended. You know, can't wait to see you. Hopefully, you enjoy my set on row. Really looking forward to it. Let's hopefully meet up in uh, you know the next next month or so. Uh, hope you have a great weekend away in Marimbula. Um, tell Fiona that. Um, the best markets in Sydney on a Saturday are at Entertainment Quarter and tell Lisa that she's hot, hot, hot. (laughs) Now, (laughs) no reply. I go on Rove. I do a great set. People still talk to me. 11 years later, still come up to me. Say, you know, I, I first saw you on Rove, love that set. Day after, Monday morning, I'm, f- I'm top of the world. I've just smashed it. First first proper TV gig, million, 1.5 million people. Get an email from the agency. Yeah, we're not going to work with you. Um, thanks very much, but uh, no thanks. And I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I was like, Did what? you watch
0: Rove? Right? <laughs>
1: I was like, I can't. I couldn't believe it. Like, and and I was I was so upset. Like, I was really really heartbroken at that because I just thought I just you know I'd come down to Sydney and I and I was just trying to make a name for myself and it had happened and I thought this is it. This is the start of everything. And I just couldn't believe it. And it was only uh, about three months later when someone told me they were like, oh, you know why they didn't take you? And I was like, no. And they're like, because you you called. Lisa, you said she was hot in your in your email. Why on earth did you do that? And I like, I just looking back on it, it is the stupidest thing. It's so so dumb. It, it's inappropriate. It's there's so many reasons why it's like. But you only learn these but things in twenty two, <laughs> and you're trying to be this like, hey, I'm a charisma, I'm a cool dude. Like, it, but it was like immature high school kind of thing or something. You know, like I just, it was so stupid. Anyway, I, I cringe to this day at the thought of that. And you know, it's just another it's just another thing that you you learn along the way of like how to how to act. Because I guess as well, you don't you don't understand what workplaces are. I've never I've never worked in a workplace. I didn't know etiquette. I was still like in that young lads, 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 you know, like, oh, telling a girl she's hot is a compliment. You know what I mean? There's no, like, it didn't seem at all inappropriate to me at the time. And now, of course, looking back, it's the dumbest thing you could possibly do. It's insensitive. It's inappropriate. It's, it's like, it's just so many wrongs.
0: Judge Judy says when, when she has young men on her show as plaintiffs or defendants and they're below 25, she'll say, yeah, you're not fully cooked, you're not cooked yet. You're not, you're not, you're not fully done. Well, <laughs> that's what I think. I think you
1: just got to do it. You got to make a lot of mistakes along, and then, and then, you know, every single mistake kind of turns the oven up a bit and gets you, gets you a little bit more roasted, so that you, you're finally ready <laughs> to get taken out. And I, and the thing is, I see dudes in the comedy scene who are exactly like me now, who, who were like me, who I was like that ten years ago. You know, and it's that, it's that thing of like this absolute unreasonable confidence and arrogance and cockiness that is probably a byproduct from the schoolyard, you know, lunch playground where they, they have to kind of put on that bravado or, or have to sort of, or just, it's just the mindset that they've, they've worked in their whole life. And you, it kind of, they aren't re, they don't realize yet that they can't have everything that they want and that they need to actually work hard to get things and to, to respect other people and you know act appropriately within business and all that sort of stuff it's it's just a it's just something you learn along the way
0: yeah yeah I think that's one of the only reasons that kept me still employed in some places is that I have worked in offices since very young (laughs) since very young and I kind of know yeah I think that's one of the main reasons that you know not talent or anything it's just like oh she won't fucking send a bad email.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's so important like that's one of the other things that people don't realize in terms of like being I wouldn't say successful but like being well, I guess being successful and that like those I've got three rules for that where it's like you three rules number 1 be pretty good at what you do. You don't have to be amazing. You don't have to be, you know, you shouldn't be terrible. You just have to be pretty good at what you do. Number 2, uh, reply to emails all right, it's business. Even if you, even if you just don't stand up every second night in a pub somewhere, it's business. Treat it like a business. Reply to your frigging emails. Don't be untouchable. And third, yeah. Yeah. And don't, and don't think that you're too cool to, to just do run your logistics and make sure you can get to a gig on time and check Google maps and how to get the train there. Don't like, and, and the third thing is don't be a dickhead. That's all. That's all you need to do. Don't be a dickhead.
0: That sounds like that trifecta that they talk about. I think Jim Carrey talks about it at one um, university talk he does. One yeah, of those right. Great, those leaving talks. Be pretty good at your job. Mm-hmm. Be, all, like, all right. Um, it's the trifecta. Be pretty good at your job. Turn up on time.
1: Yeah, exactly. Is, the which same is sort of thing, right? checking
0: Just, the emails. Just be accountable and turn up on time. Yeah. And then be nice. Yeah. So that's exactly the same thing he yeah, says. Yeah. You can have two of those things. You can be, like pretty good at your job and turn up on time but be an asshole people will still hire you not maybe not as much no
1: they won't hire you as much but they as much. but they won't, they won't you won't be a pleasure to work right. with and it'll and that stuff spreads it it
0: catches up with you yeah
1: it really does
0: yeah
1: um but no if yeah if and if yeah i feel like you just got to try and do all three and most people will and you'll just have a steady career uh creatives really get caught up on this idea that everything has to be perfect and that everything has to be amazing. And that, you know, if it's not going to be the best ever, if it's not going to compete with with Academy Award winning movies or, you know, Emmy Award winning TV shows, then what's the point? What am I going to make it what's the point? I don't want this to be taken the wrong way, but there is a huge market for average stuff. <laughs> You're 100% <laughs> right. It is totally okay to make things that are just Fine.
0: Can I give you three words for that, mm-hmm. Mrs. Brown's Boys? <laughs> I haven't seen. I haven't watched this. I'm not going to comment. But popular as hell, sells out arenas. It's average.
1: Well, I mean, good on it. It's it's they're it's, making it. Do you know what I mean?
0: It's they've ticked the boxes. I'm it not, does what it needs to do. I
1: can't comment because I haven't seen it. But like, it's this idea that everyone, every creative expects to be making fine dining. You know that's what the, we put the pressure on ourselves to make fine dining quality food. Every but but you and I, when we're hungry, it's nice to eat at a fine dining restaurant. It's a great thing to do every now and then. But you don't want to do that every day.
0: What's with all these food analogies?
1: <laughs> it's the only way I can compute them. my you know because 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 entertainment and food, you both pretty much need to consume it daily. You Ask anyone that they go they every every single day people are consuming podcasts. They're reading newspapers or books they're watching tv shows you consume entertainment as much as you consume food if not more right so you i so i just try to make sure that i am doing things that match what people do and how often they consume it. So if you're going to work 2 years on a project, yeah, it, you'd want tr- you're going to want to try and make it as good as possible because that's something that they're going to that they are going to anticipate with that much excitement as well. They'll look forward to it for a few months and they finally get to do it, they want to sit down and be like, "Wow, that was an amazing 3 hours." But if you're doing breakfast radio, your show really only has to be as good as that person's bowl of granola. You know, because that's how flippantly they're consuming it as well. And so you know, you look at the, the the way that you do things and where you – I look at the way that I do things and what I'm producing and I try to make as many analogies as possible. For instance, social media for me is street food, right? Now, sometimes I get tied up being like, oh, God, I haven't, I haven't written enough, I haven't posted enough or anything like that. But I'm like, yeah, that's because you're making a TV show and you're writing a book and th- those are the fine dining things. And you don't get someone who's working at ARIA who's focusing on a 10-course degustation – to come out to Bunnings and cook sausages for people. There's nothing wrong with the sausages of Bunnings. People enjoy the sausages at Bunnings every single week, but you know they're doing their thing. So focus on that. Whereas some people are really good at making purely social media content. But the thing with social media content is just like street food, you're making huge amounts of very small bits of it, consumable bits, a stick here, a stick there, a little bit here, a little bit there. So you've got to turn over so much, but that, but the the quality doesn't actually have to be as nearly as good, right? It's just got to be convenient and quick and there has to be a lot of it.
0: It's such a great way to think about it.
1: Uh, it's just, it just, it just it's just my way of thinking of it because it helps me figure out where I'm placed and how to market what I do and the way that I think about, you know, or everything to do with producing something, whether it's, you know, stand-up, a book, TV shows or, you know, whether you're making a new product or something like that, releasing a new soft drink. You've got to think about it, however it suits you.
0: Can you pinpoint a time when you felt the happiest and most fulfilled in your career?
1: Um, <clears throat> probably this year, actually. Uh, having released a book, which I'm really proud of, uh, called being black and chicken and chips. Um, having finished the TV show second season of the other guy, which is really exciting because it was the second season, and we had Harriet Dyer back, and uh, and she's just so funny. And I felt good at acting. I felt actually good in the first season. I felt overwhelmed by um, Valene Kane, my co-star, and Harriet, my other co-star. I felt like you know they were obviously much better than me, and I learned so much from them. And this season I was able to apply all the stuff that I learned and I felt really confident in my place there. Plus, we got to work alongside Claudia Carvin and having her even say yes to the show and read the scripts and say, I like it and I'm happy to be a part of it. To put her name to something like that is a big deal for her, you know, and for us because she doesn't want to look like an idiot and we don't want to make her look like an idiot. And so to know that she gave us that trust was really exciting. Um, I was also in a movie called Dora the Explorer. I had one line, but it's a big movie. and um, And... It's it's exciting because I also had a baby, which is the most exciting part of that, but it's not a professional thing, but it's the most exciting part of my year. And it just means that she can actually watch something that I do really soon in like a year or two, you know? That's amazing. And it, and it, and it makes me really proud. So I've, I've had a really, really, really fun year and happy year. I feel very confident in what I'm doing and I feel really... Um, Fearless of failure now at the moment. I mean, you've gotten to that point. Well, with what I'm doing, yes.
0: It's just interesting to know how necessary all these low points are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they they're the building blocks of of you becoming a better person, a better performer, um, a better you know worker, coworker, friend, all those things. So yeah, it's super important. The other thing is, failure is also about managing your own expectations. It's really got nothing to do with what anyone else thinks. It's just about making sure that you know what you expect. If you, you know, I want to I make a song, I want to release a song again soon. Now, as far as the music that I've made has gone, it's not exactly been huge commercially successful or that popular. That said, I still have probably, you know, just under half a million listens on Spotify for the music that I make, and that's a lot more than a lot of, you know, full-time musicians will, will get on their stuff. Um, so I'm quite happy with that. So when I release a song, for me, I'm not, um, I don't have any metrics to worry about with that. You just enjoy yeah. it. Yeah, so I will just release it. And actually, and actually me releasing the song it. will be me going, well, I did it. Um, whereas if you go, oh, I released a song, so it's going and to, I, and, you know, and if I don't get a million hits, then I'm everyone's going to be laughing at me. Well, yeah, of course, you're going to fail, you know. And that's that's where artists, I think, get really tied up in their, with their own metrics, their own standards. Um, so, you know, if you're worried about failure, just lower the bar. <laughs> <And> make <laughs> sure you advice. can jump over it every time.
0: <laughs> lower and lower and lower each time. Yeah. Thanks for listening. To share your fails with me, you can contact me on my Facebook or Twitter at Greta Lee Jackson. Fail with Greta Lee Jackson is presented by me and recorded at the studios of Podcast One Australia. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. For more episodes of Fail with Greta Lee Jackson, download the Podcast One app or look me up on Apple Podcasts.